I'm Ethan Finley, and you're listening to The Sound of the Loons. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast i'm steve mcpherson my boon companion callum williams is here of course before we really get into it uh we wanted to take a moment and give a shout out to the presenting partners for our 2020 season allianz alina health bell bank blue cross and blue shield of minnesota federated insurance and m health fairview this season has already been a super weird one, and it's going to stay that way. Who knows what happens after the, the tournament is complete, uh, concluded. So we really want to thank those sponsors for sticking with us as we get games underway again. To learn more about any of our partners, you can visit mnufc.com slash club slash partners. Cal, do you have a take on the new Taylor Swift record that came out at midnight? No, I didn't listen to it, Steve. <laughs> we're, we're recording this on Friday, so I just wanted to check how <laughs> up on, on Taylor Swift you were. Well, as you know, I am terrible when it comes to music. I, I do honestly feel like a really old man at the moment because I couldn't tell you who's in the charts, what's popular, what the kids are listening to. I have no idea. And, and, I, and I, I came to this realization a, a few weeks ago, actually. Well, actually, it was a year or so ago, but then really a few weeks ago when I thought to myself, I have no idea who's popular. If you were to ask me, who is the latest R&B star or pop star? I have no idea. Sure. Um, and uh, the, the wife and I actually decided to, to listen to some uh, some chart music to try and, and aid with this issue that we clearly have. And um, I felt really old when there was a song that was playing, can't remember who it is or what it's called or what have you, so apologies, I'm useless there. Um, but it was essentially a remix of an old song that I used to dance to in nightclubs when I was... 18 years old, I was like, that's how I know I'm really old when, when, when songs are getting, you know, remixed and put back out there and stuff, you know, that, it's, it's strange because it's the first time it's ever happened in my life. And everyone mm -hmm. told me, if I get older, this would happen. And I was like, no, 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 it won't happen. Yeah. And it is. So that's how I know um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting uh, to a fossil phase of my life and becoming really old. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. But, yeah. but that's to answer your question fairly long-windedly there, no, I haven't listened to the Taylor Swift song because, um, what was I? I was watching baseball last night at midnight, so oh, I... Uh, God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sounds terrible. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny because I... Um... You know, I have I have kids and they're not quite yet old enough to really establish to keep me in touch with what's popular right now. So like when it comes to what the kids are listening to, for me, it's like frozen over and over again. Still, I've been driving to camp uh, this past two weeks uh, and listening to a lot of Frozen and Frozen 2. Um, but I did listen to the Taylor Swift record. I uh, have I enjoy Taylor Swift. I really enjoy uh, 1989. It's a terrific uh, album. Uh, I do not, I'm not like a super fan. Uh, I have not listened to that much since that record overall, I would say. Um, but this one's really good. It's, uh, you know, it's a little different. It's, it's got, uh, uh, a lot of it was done with Aaron Dessner, who's from The National, uh, which is a sort of, you know, respectable, you know, old white dude indie rock band. And so it's got a little of a indie sort of uh, feel. It's got a little mood. Uh, 1989 is like super polished and super put together. This one is a little more air in it. It's got a little more, you know, uh, you can hear sort of the instruments a little more um, in their environments, which is nice um, for, for me. It's kind of what I go for. And I've always appreciated Taylor Swift's, um, you know, even though she's, she started as country, she moved out of country and she went into pop. I've always sort of appreciated, she's kept some of that country eye for storytelling in songs and having like different characters and sort of interesting perspectives and, and sort of a very breezy way with like layering on references, which is a thing I think of a lot with like modern country music. So it's interesting to listen to the stuff that sort of produced like an indie rock record but from someone who is a pop star, but who started in country. So it's kind of a fun, it's kind of a fun listen. Um, I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this have listened to it. Um, but I recommend, I recommend checking it out if you get the chance. 
Well, as soon as we're done on this podcast, that's exactly what I shall do. I need oh, some yeah. new music in my life anyway. There you go. Um, let's uh, go into soccer now, since we've had a lot of soccer. Uh, I wanted to start because I started looking at this, and uh, I wanted to go back and look at – I don't remember what, your, what all of your predictions were prior to the, the, the MLS's back tournament. But we did a podcast, and I took notes on my predictions. And I got to say, I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I was pretty good. Uh, let's, let's, let's go revisit these predictions. Um, so in the, now the groups got realigned a little bit, as we all know. There was six teams, and then teams got withdrawn. So, um, but I think this stands pretty well. In Group A, I had my predicted winner was Philly, and my dark horse was Orlando, and they were the two teams on top of that group. Uh, in Group B, my predicted winner was uh, Seattle, and my dark horse was San Jose, and those are uh, the, the they were reversed again, same thing as as the other as Group A. But those are the two teams that went through. In Group C. Uh, I predicted Toronto. My dark horse was New England. And those are the two teams uh, that, that were at the top of that group. Uh, group D, I didn't do as well. Um, I was probably too, a, little too, a little too close to it. I predicted Minnesota United winning and Colorado as, as sort of a dark horse. Colorado waxed out of, out, completely out of it. Um, but, uh, you know, Minnesota United it, it advanced, which is good. Group E, I predicted Atlanta. They were eliminated. I don't feel bad about that at all. Um, uh, my dark horse was Columbus, and that was the actual winner. And then in Group F, I predicted LAFC, who advanced, and I, my dark horse was Houston, who did not. So that was sort of where I missed. But that's pretty good, right? Very, very good. I shall have, uh, whenever we're in, engaged in conversation at the stadium next, I shall have my head over the shoulder to make sure you don't take my announcing job. Um, <laughs> that's good uh, predictions there, Steve. Well done. That's very good. Because coming into this tournament, it was just um, uh, completely unknown, really, wasn't it? You know, we, no, yeah. no one really quite understood what we were going to see um, because we've never done this before. So, um, you know, you, you've done very, very well there, mate, to, to get as many right as you have. Um, clearly what this proves is whatever I say is complete nonsense, so don't ever listen to me. <laughs> I, think, I, I think we were in pretty close alignment on a lot of those. Um, I, I think that um, – I think I was higher on New England uh, than you were – um, I think you were maybe higher on like NYCFC who did advance, but they just didn't come in top two. Um, but I, I mean, you know, I think we were, we were pretty aligned on a lot of my, I don't think, you know, I, I think your job is, your job is safe. <laughs> Steve, we'll see, shall we? Um, yeah, I think, um, um, from, from memory, I, I remember saying, I thought Kansas City were going to finish top of, top of group D from what I remember. Um, just because I, I, you know, they, I, I think they came into the tournament the most prepared because yeah. they had started training earlier than anybody because it was they who came up with the, the system of, of how to train without um, contact and, and the, the reservations that were eventually put in place by the league when the rest of the analysis went back to training. That it was that suggested by Sporting KC and Peter Vermees and Co. So um, I, I thought they were, um, you know, that, that they were what I expected to be honest. Um, Little surprise in New York City FC. Uh, I thought they would be uh, a little more consistent. Um, the, the biggest surprise, though, I think for, for just about everybody, is, is how poorly Atlanta United were in the tournaments. Yeah. Um, and subsequently, they've today fired. Um, or oh, no, they're not fired. Let me get this completely right because I you mutually parted ways. Right? Things they parted ways uh, with Frank De Boer. Um, and. Uh, you know, I'm not suggesting at all the tournament has anything to do with that because it doesn't, to my knowledge. Um, there were just some issues off the field that um, Frank de Boer needed to uh, uh, to attend to. So, um, no doubt, uh, I think I think we're, we're all sorry. I don't mean to turn this into an Atlanta United conversation, but we're, you know, whilst we're on the subject, I think it's it's safe to say that de Boer was probably never the right choice. Really, was he? It just never felt quite right for Atlanta United, especially given the the types of players that they had and, and still have and the way that Dubois wanted to play. I just don't think the mix was ever really going to work. Um, having said that, they won two trophies last year and got into the playoffs. So I don't think he did a bad job. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't think long-term it was the right fit, to be honest. And as I say, you know, to my knowledge, uh, his, his family didn't move over to the US and, and that's one of the main reasons why they parted ways, um, which you can understand from the, the humanitarian point of view um, I, I don't know how anybody can can do it, you know. So um, I'll be interested now to see what Atlanta United's plan is. Um, 
will they go and, and, and dig deep into the managerial realm and try and get a big name or, or will they go with a tried and tested in Major League Soccer? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't want to derail this into Atlanta talk too much. Although when they, they lose and score no goals in a tournament, I'm happy to talk about them for as long as anybody wants to, wants to talk. But um, it is interesting with Frank DeBoer because I feel like, um, you know, the model looking at Atlanta from the beginning, it seemed like the model was so different than, you know, something like what Minnesota United has pursued or um, a, a team like Sporting Kansas City or something like that. Um, where the idea is you get a coach who you're going to stick with, who's, you know, going to install, install a system. You're going to build slowly. Uh, you're not going to necessarily spend a lot of cash up front. Uh, you're going to try to get better through the draft. You're going to try to get better through trades. You're going to try to find, um, you know, investment uh, assets. If they don't work out, it's a low investment. You can move on from it. It's sort of a very slow piecemeal way to build a team. Atlanta's strategy seemed from the beginning to, you know, uh, spend a lot and get a manager in, in Tata for those, those, those first couple of years who was high profile, who could connect with the market um, in South America and bring in some players who are not like, you know, we're not talking about LA, just LA galaxy sort of just spending a whole lot of money on a guy, but spending a lot of money, a lot more money than Minnesota United, for example, at the beginning. But then with the knowledge that that was not probably going to last, that you were going to uh, get a player like Almiron and move him on. Uh, you were going to get, uh, then you're going to follow up. You're going to get a player like Barco. You're going to get players like um, uh, Pitti. And, you know, you're going to sort of get these guys, raise their profile, sell them for a bunch, reinvest that. And the same thing with the manager. You're going to get a high profile manager and you're going to, he's going to have some success and he's going to move on to something else. And the thing about that is it was so successful for Atlanta right out of the gate, but it sort of demands that you keep making the right, the absolute right decision over and over and over again. And, you know, for one, I, I like, I won't be surprised if Atlanta pivots out of this and he's right back in the mix again, you know, pretty quickly given the amount of um, it, money that they use and stuff like that. But this is sort of the risk. You got you go out and get a guy like Frank DeBorah who has a history, who is an internationally known coach and it's just not right. And then, you know, to their credit, I think, you know, I mean, and obviously like you're saying, I think it's, you know, obviously situations are, are fluid. No one thing is like, this is why this coach is fired, but it's been clear for a while that, like you said, there's, there's a mismatch between personnel and coach there. Um, so whatever the specific reason for him leaving Atlanta, you got to just got to move on. You move on to the next guy, but this is sort of the price of doing this, doing business this way, rather than trying to sort of slowly build something up. Um, and, you know, I think Atlanta United fans should, I'm sure a lot of them are, based on what I've seen on Twitter, a lot of them are probably happy that DeBoer is gone. Um, a lot of them are definitely disappointed with their performance in this tournament. But like you said, they've won cups, you know, <laughs> they, they made the playoffs. So overall, I think they're probably doing okay. Sometimes you can't be a victim of your own success. And I think perhaps that's what happened with Atlanta United there. Um, and, and maybe even Frank DeBoer will identify with that as well. You know, as, as we've said now, he won trophies last year and got to the playoffs in in a season that didn't start very well for Atlanta, but obviously in the end ended up being being quite a successful season. That's how most people would view that type of year in, in Major League Soccer. But such is the the standard in, in Atlanta and, and what they want. Um, you know, obviously uh, there were a lot of things that, that weren't good enough. And I know people weren't quite happy with the style of football there, which, as we alluded to earlier on, it, it's a, a way that Frank DeBoer plays. I remember commentating on one of... Uh, one of the games that he was in charge of, of Crystal Palace back in England, and, and it was very direct football. It was um, not particularly pleasing on the eye, but um, you know it, it seemed to work for a, a short time. It, it certainly worked very well when he was in Holland and, and when he was with uh, Ajax, and you know he was very successful there. Um, but it's now three clubs now. It's where, where it's not quite worked out for him in, in Inter Milan. Uh, Crystal Palace and, and now Atlanta United. So I, I wonder what Frank Abor does next. Wouldn't surprise me if you know he went back to Holland. Uh, obviously, that seems to be the main reason why he's why he's parted ways with Atlanta United. But it wouldn't surprise me if a you know a Middle Eastern um, adventure came his way. But um, we'll, we'll wait and see. I, I just um, I'm just intrigued to see what Atlanta United now do. Um, it, it also there's a lot to be said in terms of bringing in the players that identify with the market that you're in as well, I think there's more to that than people realise as well, especially when you're trying to build a franchise as well. You know, and Atlanta United need to be applauded because they did a tremendous job by bringing in Martinez 
um, Joseph Martinez, uh, Almiron, which, by the way, thank you for saying his name correctly. I've, I've um, been practicing. I mean, I've, you know, you, you, got it, <laughs> you, you got me to do it in the second year, so I'm, I'm, it's still there. So Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, this Martinez obviously was a, was a colossal signing for them. So, you know, um, clubs identify in certain ways. And, and I think overall, Frank DeVore probably just didn't fit with the identity of Atlanta United. Yeah. So speaking of playing direct, let's talk about Colorado. We'll go back and look at the look at the Colorado game here. Um, a couple of things before we get into it. This is a little more complicated. I think sort of assessing this game specifically is a little more complicated than as we're just going through the regular season. And you're talking about like, you know, there's there's considerations during the regular season about rest. Uh, there's considerations about um you know open cup games there's considerations about international competitions how these things intersect this was a game that really it's sort of there's sort of like like a thick context here because in the context of the tournament itself you know minnesota united controlled uh its destiny win and you win group d which weirdly would mean a shorter turnaround to a, a knockout stage game uh late sunday night i believe was the way it was set up draw and you would face the tournament's hottest team in columbus crew who didn't allow a goal in three games and if you lose, you could either face Columbus or the Quakes, sort of depending on goal differential and some complicated things. In some ways, uh, now this is not to say that I think coaches almost always go out to, to coaches go out to win games, players go out to win games. Nobody's like calculating this. But if you're just looking at it in terms of the team, in some ways, losing or winning would be preferable to drawing, like in terms of in, 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 across a couple different um, you know dimensions there. Um, you know, so. You know, if the game is tied as it was late, like why don't like why not go for it? Just like be radical, try to get a goal if you don't, and you give up a goal. Either way, one might be preferable to drawing. But also, these goal these games count toward the regular season, which we don't know what that regular season is going to look like. But presumably, there's going to be you know they're they're playing with the anticipation of some kind of regular season, and so you never want to leave points on the pitch like in the regular season. Like every point you get could help you down the road. Um, and so if you've got a draw, there's a lot to be said for just hanging on to that draw in a situation in which players are playing games in, around short rest. Uh, they're playing it in heat. They're playing it in humidity. If you've got a draw, you know, hang on to it. And that's a point uh, going, going back into the regular season. So it's, it was sort of a complicated game, I think, to decide like how it was going to be played. Um, any other wrinkles that, that you were considering going into the game? I, I thought, obviously, Minnesota United, um, having spoken to the coaching staff, that they wanted to finish top of the group because it, it was and, and is, um, I'm not going to say it's an easier route to, to, the, um, to the final, but it, that's how it's supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be a more favourable route if, if you finish top of the group. I'm not sure um, that's how, how it really turned out to be in the end. But look, what, what, you, what you can say is that after this game, Minnesota have, have uh, drawn and, and gone up uh, against um, a good team and, and, and will have to play the informed team of the tournament. But going into it, Steve, I, I thought to myself, the Rapids were down and out. No doubt they still had regular season points to play for. But um, I, I seriously thought, knowing that both Danny Wilson and Jack Price were suspended as well, Jack Price is, is um, so key to how they play, um, I, I really fancied Minnesota United. I thought they had a, a, a good chance of, of victory. Um, and, and obviously, there were a couple of different things uh, leading up to it that I thought, yeah, okay, um, I really fancy them now. And, and, and particularly from what I had heard, the performances and training of, of Sonny Dodson, I'd heard he'd been first class. Um, and Luisa Maria, I was told, was looking a lot sharper as well. So, so bearing all of that in mind, heading into the game, Steve, I really fancy Minnesota United's chances. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Well, we're, we're going to get to what the actual uh, <laughs> result was by the end of this. I'm sure most of you probably already know. But let's um, let's start with then, you know, the sort of, sort of the start of the game and uh, begin with a 4-3-3, which was a uh, formation that the team came out in, which is sort of, uh, I feel like over the last couple of years, it's it's sort of Adrian Heath's favorite change up from the 4-2-3-1 when he doesn't have um, the option for that, uh, which is sort of the case here um, in, in a bunch of ways. Or when he wants to change, change the look. Um, as he alluded to after the game, it's always good to have multiple different formations and looks that are an option because it can keep the other team guessing to a certain extent. Um, and without, you know, Kevin Molino, that, that sort of 
forces his hand as far as I think who he's comfortable with. And I think that he feels most comfortable with Asani Dotson. I'm sure that is also based off on off of training and how everybody looks. Um, and so getting him into the game sort of makes sense. Um, my feeling was that early on, you know, it sort of changed the tenor. It's a little tough to judge because obviously Minnesota United has been, and like a lot of teams has been playing their way into shape and form uh, a sort of form that they had begun to achieve at the beginning of the season. They've had to do it again. And so every game has had a, rather a different feel to it, but um, it seemed like the, that four, three, three really frustrated Colorado's attempts to, to move the ball through the midfield. Um, but then not having Molino there, made it really hard for Minnesota to sort of connect the midfield to the attackers in the way that they're used to with sort of Molino dropping back to get that ball. And so fairly quickly, Colorado sort of doesn't seem to decide their best option was to just go direct and just go over that, that midfield. And they started playing sort of that um, the Colorado ball of, of, of laying back and then trying to get it out on the break, which led more or less to their, their first goal there. Yeah, I think, um, I, I think the Rapids are undergoing somewhat of a transition now. I, I don't think they're as direct as they used to be. I think Robin Frazier has implemented a little more of, of the ball on the ground and, and they're moving with a certain flow and, um, uh, and a certain style. Uh, I, I think from a Minnesota point of view, playing the three in midfield, they, they just wanted to match up in the centre of midfield with, with the Rapids, as, as you quite rightly say, and they did so. Um, but I thought... Um, I, I thought the, the wide player, Yunus Namli, caused a few issues because there were so many times he's extremely left-footed. It was clear and obvious for us all to see. Every time he picked the ball up on the right-hand side, he would manoeuvre in uh, and, and more often than not would take Chase Gasper with him, meaning there was a, an abundance of space for the overlapping fullback, which was Keegan Rosenberry on, on this particular occasion and, and has been for the Rapids for some time. Um, so I thought I thought they were good down the right-hand side. I thought Namli was, was clever when he got the ball. Uh, I um, was unsurprised when I saw Colin Warner got his first start for his new club as well. That, that was the obvious change, I thought, when, when we knew Jack Price was going to play. Um, it allowed Kellen Acosta to, to be uh, a little um, freer and operate in, in a, somewhat of a regular role, um, rather than him having to come a little deeper when, uh, when Warner eventually was substituted. Uh, and Rubio had a, a lot of space um, just ahead of them as well. But... Um, not as much as they would have wanted to and not as much as they had in the previous game as well. And a lot of that was because of the, the disciplined nature of, of Ozzy Alonso sitting just literally ahead of the, the two centre-halves, who, again, I thought showed quite well. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it was their finest moment for the first goal, for the Kamara goal. Um, but it's, um, I, I thought overall it was, I thought it was satisfactory from Minnesota, I, given the current climate, Steve. I think if it was a, a regular season game, I think Adrian Heath might be slightly disappointed with what we got. Yeah, it's sort of one of those games where, I mean, Colorado's always played us, Minnesota United, really tough. You know, it's sort of an interesting thing to see. You look back at the, the sort of, you know, series results all time. There's a ton of 1-0 games, you know, and like we know that they've been there's a lot of chippiness we saw it in the game for whatever reason they they play tough it, i agree i feel like it's the sort of result that like if you were missing if it was this exact situation you're missing kevin molino and you go to the 4-3-3 and you're like you're on the road in colorado maybe this is an okay result at home in allianz field this doesn't feel like you know it would be an okay result for that for that first goal for Kai Kamara's goal, I was curious about the, like your perspective on, on, um, I mean, it was just a breakdown to me. It was like, it, it, some people were too far forward. Ozzy Alonzo looked like he was trying to, and I mean, not Ozzy is, is exceptionally good at feeling that contact and going down. And it sort of just seemed like maybe he just misjudged in that moment. He didn't really have backup. He went down and was, and wanted the call. And then it was too late. Like the rapids were off to the races. Yeah, instantly, Steve, I'll be honest, I thought it was a foul on Alonso in real time. Having looked at it again several times, I, I, I can see it either way. I can see why it would be a foul and I can see why it wouldn't be as well. So it's a tough one to call. But um, instantly then with Alonso being dispossessed, I think I think um, Michael Boxall, who, who has been tremendous in this tournament so far, um, stepped up a little too early, um, which gave Kamara... Um, a, a lot of space, and, and also as well, just just before the pass came in uh, from I forget who played the ball into Kamara, but I, I understand what Boxall's doing is he, he's going to go Rubio. And, I think it was because Rubio dispossessed. Right, it might be Rubio. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think Boxall, I understand what he's doing because he's already high up the field. He's 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 wanting to press and um, uh, press the the ball and um, 
and stop any sort of service and try and win it back, essentially. But but in doing so, he, he leaves a sizable gap behind him for Kai Kamara. Um, and uh, I, I'm not blaming Boxall at all because I, I think um, Boxall was just doing his job and and, and stepping um, when he should really, when, when the central midfielder in, in that position where Ozzy Alonso is, um, the back line usually steps a little bit forward then and, um, and squeezes a bit more and, and, and it's what they've done for a long time. Um, because the thought is that the, the ball's going to move forward and, and right, so the back line are going to move forward and step high up onto the field. So, um, you know, I thought it was um, I thought it was unfortunate and, and Tyler Miller can't do much about it either. Yeah. Um, you know, he's left hung out to dry in my opinion. Um, but Kai Kamara, you know, whenever he gets the ball uh, in that situation, you, you would always bet on him scoring. You know, I, I would yeah. never bet against Kamara not scoring in that situation. And what is it now? 128 goals in Major League Soccer. And let's not forget as well, he's, he's played his trade in the Premier League in England as well. You know, he, he doesn't miss those kind of chances and he didn't on that occasion either. Yeah, as soon as I saw him floating out wide there, I was like, it's all over. You know, like as soon as I saw him sort of isolated out there on the on that right side, like he's 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 not gonna miss that. I mean, we should give again, I don't I don't blame that, I don't blame Miller at all for that goal. The um he had a great save that that's uh off the was it off a free kick or was it I can't remember if it was, but corner, I think, and corner. And it was quite sharp. Yes, it was Rubio's Rubio's header, and it was coming right at him. He had a great save. So, so I thought Tyler had 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 some good moments as well. Um, let's let's skip ahead a little bit to to Ethan Finley, who obviously had uh, a great night um, for that first goal. It's really fun to see Minnesota United being dangerous on set pieces, which is not a thing. If anybody who's been following Minnesota United, that was not the case for several years there. Um, and it got better last year, and it seems like it's even better this year. It was, it was, it was like a – it reminded me of like a video game set piece when you get it just right, like where you sort of – he curled it just around the two men, just on that near post, and Ethan just stepped out just enough to kind of like flick it in. It was an extremely like – professional goal like not not a pretty one not a particularly you know you're not going to jump out of your chair going look at that technique but man it was a great little you know just to get it over that little bit with the with the foot is is uh is terrific and i thought it was i thought it was fun so yeah he, he hit it in the exact area where it needed to go really because if you go back and look at it there's a lot of other options for young Grigush there because the two center halves have made their way up um and uh, there was somebody um who was it? There was somebody at the back post as well. Um, I think it might have been Dotson who was floating at the back post. I, I can't remember, but there was, there was a lot of options. Amaria was in there somewhere as well. Um, and, uh, you know, he chose to go near post, which I thought was was, was perfect because, again, what, if you go back, you'll see, you know, the, the, the two-man wall, I believe it was, that, that that was set, that's fine. But if you look at, at the angle of which Gregor had, there was a lot of... Um, where, where the, the set of players uh, usually would have been in that situation, um, they were slightly off, from, from the goalkeeper's vantage point, slightly to the left. They sure. weren't completely covering the near posts. Um, so I, I, I did wonder to myself, actually, I thought, I wonder if he's going to go near post here um, during commentary. And, um, and that's exactly what he did. And, and in doing so, um, regardless if Finlay would have gotten a touch on it or not, I think it would have caused... Uh, William Yarbrough, the, the goalkeeper for Colorado, uh, a real problem because he hit it with some vigour and, and venom, didn't he? So, yeah. um, uh, but look, Ethan Finlay obviously got, got a toe on it and, and it takes it away from the goalkeeper um, and, and it's, uh, it ended up being the equalising goal for Minnesota. And, and Ethan Finlay was great on the evening. He, I mean, look, we, we know what we're going to get from Ethan now, don't we? We've seen him for several years and um, I, I don't think there's, uh, there's ever been a time when he hasn't run his backside off. So, yeah. Uh, Terrific performance, and, and I was pleased uh, at that point that he got his first goal of the season. Yeah, and his second goal, not you know, not not too long after that. Um, that that second goal also, I think the the build up to that uh, goal was you could just see Minnesota United figuring out that that four three three a little bit more, just in the context of the evening, and it was just a lot of great decision making. Um, I believe beginning with with Ozzy Alonso, sort of in midfield. Um, pulling guys in, like not just hitting the open guy, but sort of being a threat and moving up. And then as 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 they started committing, he gets it out to to Grey Goose, and then Grey Goose just passed to Metonier was just perfect, just on that line. And then 
Metineers pass to, to Finley, actually, like that, that finish is not as easy as Finley made it look at first. Like I was sort of like, oh, it hit him and it went in. But, you know, he had to sort of stretch out his right leg and just like he, his foot was planted. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't really even kicking. It was like he just sort of stuck his foot out and it ricochets off and into the goal. So a really, really well-finished goal, I thought. Um, it, b- both little, little subtle, subtle touch, not, again, not beautiful goals, but, but the goals you need to score when you're in front of net like that. Yeah, the second goal I thought was vintage Minnesota United under Adrian Heath. I don't think it really matters in that scenario if you're playing a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3 because that's what that, that's what both of these systems can do at times if if they're executed um, like the coaching staff have wanted it to be. Um, and as you say, you know, there's players pulling opposition players out of place. That there's plenty of movement off the ball. The the pass on the edge uh, from Gregouche is, is inch perfect. Metinier overlapping does exactly what he's done for for a while now with us and previously with uh, uh, with Rass and and Metz. He, this is what he does. Um, and the cutback, it you know, it, it was it was fine. The cross back into into the box was fine. But as you said, Ethan Finlay had such momentum behind him, he had to sort of stop a little bit. Um, and the finish, as you say, is executed so well because it, it the ball's actually slightly behind him. Mm-hmm. And so to get any sort of power behind it, you have to you can't just let it hit you. You have to have to give it a little bit. Um, and he's slightly stretching the right leg behind, so we got just enough contact on it to, to steer it towards goal and um, and into the net. So I thought it was vintage Minnesota United. Um, I, I thought it was a really good team goal, uh, and I know the coaching staff were absolutely delighted with that at that stage. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, Ramon Metinier looking great. Like he, his season last year started really hot. Um, obviously did enough to, to earn that all-star berth, but then was, uh, out playing for Madagascar, uh, in the, the, was it African Nations Cup? Is that what it was? African Cup of Nations. Yeah. African Cup of Nations. Um, and did great. Madagascar did fantastic there, but when he came back to Minnesota United, it just, a little bit off his game for a little bit and then never really got back all the way up to as good as the the, the early returns were, but he's been, he's looked aggressive and fantastic. Uh, that early sort of line drive shot he took that forced Yarbrough to make a save. It's, it's great to see. He was one of my favorite players at the beginning of the last season. It's nice to see him to sort of picking up uh, where he left off when he went for that uh, international duty. Yeah. He's, he's obviously, um, really started this tournament full of confidence, which, which is good, Steve, because I I know there was a, um, well, I, I don't know, I'm assuming there was a little bit of uncertainty with him personally just before the contract got signed. Whenever you're negotiating contracts, you just want to get them done. Yeah. Um, it, it, it really, it, it can play around with your mind. So I'm, I'm sure that was on his mindset. It, it, it took, um, you know, his, his, his agent a little longer to get things together than I think he would have wanted them to, but... Um, look, eventually they got the deal done, which is great. And, and I think Roman Metenier, because of signing the new deal, is is really confident and, and seems very comfortable as well. You know, obviously his, his family's here, he's bought himself a house wherever it is, and, and he just seems settled and comfortable. And I think people underestimate how important that can be for professional footballers, Steve. Well, any sport person, really, because um, when when you're comfortable, when your family's comfortable, it, it makes a heck of a difference, you know. So I think that's that's probably the best word to describe at the moment in the air right now is that he's, he's comfortable and he's probably comfortable for the first time in several years as well. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk a little bit about substitutions. Obviously, a thing that that has come up, it's a thing that's been a question in um, the the tournament overall, just like, you know, the fact that teams are getting five subs and who's using them and, and, and who isn't. Um, and, uh, I think to to his credit, a lot of times, like Adrian Heath is very believes in the squad he has out there. He believes that he wants to see the squad that that is out there. If they've got it, they to see it through. And I think that players often appreciate that. He doesn't have a short hook um, on players. He wants players to work it out. Um, and it's a thing that you see. I mean, it's obviously one of the easiest things for people to criticize because they don't know what it takes to train a team. They don't get a lot of what it takes to like make a lineup, but they can look out there and go like, I would pull that guy out there. Like, like, okay, sure. But you see great coaches in a lot of sports and Greg Popovich in the NBA is one of those guys who will just leave struggling players out there to sort of figure it out. If you can't figure it, like if you figure it out, then you've learned something about yourself. If I pull you now, you might never figure it out. Right. But within the context of this game, it was notable that, you know, Robin Fraser went to his bench in the 55th minute, like after the second half seemed to sort of start in the same spot where the first half had ended. And it just 
absolutely galvanized the team. I mean, Jonathan Lewis, first of all, what a player. Like, you know, obviously he's, you know, they talked on the broadcast about like whether he's going to be a full game player, if that's, if that's in his future, you know, obviously he's sort of had an up and down, uh, you know, stint so far, but man, I believe he had three goals and three games off the bench. Um, it's, that's looking pretty good. So that, you know, obviously that sort of gave a big jolt of energy for the team. And then um, Adrian Heath sort of left, he subbed in Schoenfeld for Amaria. Uh, I think in the 74th minute or so. Uh, and Amaria, I don't know if we need to talk about him too much, did not look that sharp. He didn't end up looking uh, that great. I, he might still be bothered by that by that groin injury or whatever like that. But he sort of saved his subs until the 86th minute when he brought in Marlon Harrison and Raheem Edwards. And Minnesota United looked instantly a lot more energetic. Um, Raheem Edwards even came close to getting to heading a goal and it just bounced off his shoulder rather than, than his head. And Raheem has looked really good also um, overall uh, when he's gotten the chance to get out there. It's just one of those things that I sort of was like, you know, would it have been better if this had happened 15 minutes earlier? It's just the, the, the heat out there looked like it was just sapping players. When they show players walking, it's like their, their jerseys are sticking to them. Um, you know, I just wonder if it's one of those situations in which you just got to go earlier to some of those subs, you know, but I mean, I, maybe that'll be different in the next round when you're not trying to hold on to a draw when you're talking about a tournament where um, it's not counting toward the regular season. Maybe that changes the, the calculations, but I mean, I did just end up feeling like, you know, a draw is a good result. It's good to hold on to that point, but I think things might've been different if, if, you know, they've been getting some of those subs had gotten on a little bit earlier. Quite possibly. I think, um, you're right in, in suggesting that Edwards clearly made an impact. I thought Marlon Hairston um, clearly had uh, um, plenty to play for, <clears throat> play for a big pardon, and was, um, you know, wanting to, to play against his former employer. Um, but I think the one thing we've learned about Adrian Heath over the course of the last couple of years is that he's an extremely loyal individual. Yeah. Um, and he believes in, in what he has on the field and, and he doesn't like to change it too much if it's working as well, which, um, you know, I, I think it's safe to say it's, it's been, it's been good the, the last few games. I don't think it's been great, but it, it's been good enough. Obviously Minnesota got through to the next round. So several things have gone right for that to happen. Yeah. Um, I think the thing, I think is as well is there's a lot more to come from the group. And I think Adrian wants to keep that group together. Um, and, and wants them to, to, once again, become familiar with each other because you, you do lose that familiarity if you if you don't play with uh, certain players and, and whatnot um, over the course of, of several months. Um, so I I don't really have too much to, to say to be honest, Steve. Other than you know I think you know substitutions obviously can play their part, um, especially ones with you know an abundance of energy and pace like Raheem Edwards. But I think um, I think Adrian's very loyal to to the players that he has. Um, look, I, I know there's, there's been a lot of criticism of, of uh, Robin Lourdes. Um And, uh, you know, I, I, I can see both sides of it. I, I can see why that's the case. Um, but uh, I can also see the other side of it as to, to why um, he's continuously in the starting 11 as well. Um, he does a lot off the ball. Um, his footballing intelligence is, is top-notch. Um, the only question really is with, with Robin Lourdes, is, is he more comfortable in a number 10 role? That's the million-dollar question. Um, but right now, given the scenario, um, I, I think with the way that, that Minnesota have, uh, have this, the system playing at the moment, I, I think Robin Lourdes is in a good position because he inevitably tucks in regardless and Chase Gasper can overlap him in the matter. You think about the amount of times Chase Gasper had the ball over the last three games. It's not by chance. A lot of that is because of Robin Lord's movement inside. Mm-hmm. So, and we've seen with this system, the fullbacks are not just a part of the defensive unit. They are very much a part of the attacking picture, aren't they? So um, just because Robin Lord is not scoring goals, because he's, he's not, you know, supplying numbers that people uh, would perhaps expect, it doesn't mean he's not playing very well. Um, I would encourage people just to keep their eye on Mr. Lord a little more, uh, particularly when he's off the ball. Yeah. And I think that, you know, if you go and look at some sort of, <clears throat> again, I, I, you know, I, I don't believe that 
I, as, as far as it goes with, you know, analytics and things like that, I believe you sort of need to balance that with, with watching the game, with sort of the eye test, with your own sense of it. But, you know, for people who feel like LUD is not productive, like if you look at some of the advanced analytics people have as far as like expected goals, expected goals plus expected assists, goals plus, which is a new metric that um, American Soccer Analysis has been, has been working on, which is very interesting, um, worth reading up on at, at ASA, uh, great website. Um, where they're sort of trying to involve uh, all the touches that a player has into uh, evaluating their effect on the game. So not just, you know, because expected goals comes in and says, you know, you took this shot, it was a good shot, but you didn't make it, but you get points for that because of the, it, you took a good shot. This, you know, goals plus is trying to involve passing, dribbling, intercepting, you know, all, all of the, the actions that players do. And Robin Lutt is like scoring very well on that metric. Like he's, he's getting, he's gotten some good looks that have not gone down. He's doing a lot of work out there. Um, and so, you know, again, I, I think that, I think that there's reasons to stick with him. I think that um, I do also think that Raheem Edwards has been great by that metric. Also, incidentally, it was the thing I was looking at today that the, the top um, like the top five player, and it's a small, it's a small sample size versus the, I mean, he's only played 55 minutes so far in the season. But, you know, in those 55 minutes, he's second on the team in that metric. And so it's Kevin Molino up top, then Raheem, and then Ozzy, Roman, and Jan Gregush. And you would say those other four guys are definitely four of the best guys who have been on the team. <laughs> like, they've been the best this year. So for Raheem to be up there, I think, says a lot about him. And, I, you know, I hope he gets – he's a guy I hope he gets some run because I think there's a lot of uh, fun stuff there for, for him. Um, last thing I want to say about this game, what is up with those – nearly invisible advertising boards next to the goal that Ethan Finlay d- clearly didn't see because it's green and opened like a three inch gash on his knee. Come on. I'm just saying like, I understand like, you know, the dollars is a huge part of how this works. Um, we all know that that sponsorship is a big part of making this stuff go, but there's gotta be some other solution than putting like invisible things for players to fall over and hurt themselves on, on the field. Yeah, perhaps they should be uh, better placed somewhere else. I, I don't know where you would put them, Steve. I, I'm not a marketing or corporate partnerships expert, but I, I don't know where you'd put those kind of things. But uh, yeah, clearly um, Ethan Finlay had a little bit of little bit of trouble seeing it, didn't he? And yeah. uh, he's very fortunate that um, that it wasn't um, any more serious the, the the nasty gash that he had on his leg. So um, you know, let's hope he recovers quickly and is ready for Tuesday. Yeah. For any, for anybody who's gone through knee injuries like Ethan, I saw that and I'm like, Oh, I don't like seeing him lying down (laughs) near the boards at the end of the field. All right, let's move on to Columbus real quickly. Um, You know, we'll talk about that. Uh, You've got, you, you just recorded a a recap show with, uh, with Ian Fuller, which will be uh, up talking about Colorado and then you're going to do a preview show later on. So this is all good stuff for people to check out, but let's touch on Columbus a little bit. Um, Man, the crew, just dominated that <laughs> that group. They didn't they didn't allow a goal, uh, which is which is really impressive. And uh, you know that is that is impressive. Obviously, a lot of people are really impressed with them. They're um, as you said, they're the informed team. I I did I did enjoy Adrian Heath's uh, little chalkboard material at the end of or during his press conference where he said, you know, maybe they won't even bother showing up since everybody's decided the crew's already won this whole thing, which is uh, a classic, classic gaff right there. Um, <clears throat> I, would, I would suggest he's probably just uh, just taking the pressure off his players there, more than anything, Steve. Yeah. Um, uh, look, it's, it's clear Columbus crew have been the, um, the most effective team in the tournament. They are the most informed team in the tournament. And, and as people listening to this will know, in this type of... Um, tournament formats um having form and going on a run is absolutely vital and, and can take you a very very long way look at all the over the years and and uh, having the, the world cup and, and the euros and, and what have you um the amount of teams that go into it in in bad form often are bounced earlier on uh, in the tournament but those who are in a good good reign of form will, will go very far regardless of um of what the quality that they that they have at their disposal um, the thing about the crew, though, is is that I think you know obviously Caleb Porter had a year just to to assess and get um, a group of players together that he wanted. Um, he's now been given a, a sizable chunk of money to go and add to that uh, a team that was already fairly decent. Um, 
he's now added, uh, you know, individuals like like uh, Azela Rayan, for example, seven million dollars. It's the most that Columbus Crew have ever spent on on a singular player. Uh, and, and my word, he's he's been fabulous. You know, I know he's got a little bit of an injury, um, so I don't know if he's going to play against Minnesota on Tuesday. I think from a a loon's point of view, you would hope he wouldn't because he is first class and um, already for me is probably um, identified as one of the better number 10s in the league. But the reason why he's allowed to operate almost uh, in a free nature, you could say, is because of, of a duo that, that I think, I don't think it's too far-fetched to describe them as probably in the top three central midfield duos in Major League Soccer, and that's Artur and Darlington Nagby. Darlington Nagby is perhaps the most underrated U.S. soccer player I think I've ever seen. He was fabulous at Portland when he was playing a little higher up the field and there was a bit more expected of him, um, and he was a lot younger as well. He went to Atlanta where it it was good, it was okay, but it was under the De Boer era, and uh, as we've already discussed, um, it it perhaps didn't go as well as it should have done. Um, But in this system where Darlington Nagby can... can flip and flop and, and switch with, with Artur in, in the roles where you switch from a six to an eight uh, almost seamlessly. I think Darlington Nagby is, is one of the best central midfielders in the league and, and he really makes the Columbus crew tick. I don't think Jassy Zardes has ever had this amount of, of service, even during his days with the Galaxy when they were winning MLS Cup and everything. You know, Zardes right now is absolutely flying and it's because of the service he's getting from the likes of Zola Rayan uh, and the wide players that have been... Um, uh, Derek Etienne and uh, Pedro Santos. Um, but the reason that the crew are so free-flowing when they move forward is because of the assertive nature of the central midfield pairing that they have behind them uh, in Artur and Nagby. So the crew are about as solid as they've ever looked, in my opinion. Um, and they are, no doubt, the informed team at this tournament. Yeah, I would be hitting the uh, the holy midfielder button on the uh, on the sound bar <laughs> if we if we had that capacity in Zoom, but we don't. So um, yeah, Nagby has looked great. Um, you know, hardly has put a foot wrong. All of his passes have been fantastic. Um, and he's he's again as someone who appreciates that kind of play, it's it's fun to watch. And I you know I've liked Columbus for for a while now, and it's 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 good to see them sort of um, taking that next step and 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 doing it in this tournament. Like you said, if a, a run a run can make a huge difference. Um, it's kind of what makes tournaments fun. You know, like the regular season is is a marathon and there's like ups and downs and everything like that. Tournament is one of those things where it's short, you know, like if you just hit you lightning in a bottle right there, like you can you can ride it pretty far, which is which is uh which is really fun. Um speaking of injuries, I, I feel like um, you know, Kevin Molino's availability and sort of, you know, his his ability to play through the whole game is gonna be um huge against uh Columbus, you know, like Minnesota United's gotten better. I would say better in each game, um, you know, overall, just looking more like themselves. Obviously, the result at Kansas City was their best result, but it sort of came in a crazy way at the very end. It feels like they've 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 been better generally going forward. But um, that the game they played against Colorado and got that draw, like I, that's not going to cut it against the Columbus Crew. Like you're going to need you're going to need more than that. So um, so. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think Kevin Molino is, is a big X factor for Minnesota United, probably the way that Zellerion is for uh, for Columbus. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, and it'll dictate really his availability, won't it, whether they do a 4-3-3 or go back to the more familiar 4-2-3-1. Um, I'll, I'll be very interested to see what happens there. But uh, yeah, look, as I said, uh, Zellerion is, is such a fabulous talent. The Opening goal that he scored in the tournament was a, a beautifully struck free kick. Um, mm, yeah, so capable from from range uh, and and sort of operates uh, his um, the best version of himself uh, right on the edge of the penalty area. You know where he, he does almost tease and, and toy. You know he's he's got uh, fabulous um, passing range both in, in tight spaces and, and if he needs to, to be a little more direct as well, he's he's really good. But as I said, I mean, the main beneficiary of all of this has been Jassy Zardes, Steve. I don't think we've ever seen a Zardes that has been as um, as clinical in front of goal as, as this iteration is. Um, and that's good for the crew. It, maybe it's good for the United States moving forward. Who knows? Um, but um, no doubt about it, this Columbus crew side will be the toughest task Minnesota have faced uh, in this tournament so far. Uh, one other thing, I'm going to talk about that in one second, but one other thing that I thought of that I forgot to ask, uh, where would you put um, Jan and Ozzy in that 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 conversation about best midfield uh, duos in, in MLS? 
Oh, where were I? <laughs> Young and Aussie. Um, okay. Um, let I mean, look, let's let's go through this, shall we? Because I mean, <laughs> this is this is a serious conversation, Steve. Yeah. Well, you uh, know, it's, I, I I I brought it up because you you, you look there. You're doing a little research. Um, I brought it up because I think it was something that came up. Somebody I was reading, writing about this last year, saying that as, as Jan had gotten better toward the end of the season, he sort of stepped up and delivered a lot of assists. You know, Ozzy healthy and Jan firing on all his cylinders. At least one person was saying they've got to be up there with the best midfield duos uh, in MLS, which I would tend to agree with. Um, so I, I definitely have them up there, probably top top three to top five, something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would, I would probably agree with you there, Steve. Probably four or five I would have them in there for sure um it depends as well because it's a duo as well right not everybody plays a four two three one so if we're talking about teams that are strictly operating in in that formation then then yeah you'd put them in the top three but you know across the entirety of the league with others playing uh three in central midfielders there's there's so many fabulous partnerships uh, across midfield so uh, but look, at the end of the day, here's one thing I will say. It's the best central midfield partner uh, partnership Minnesota United have, have had since coming into Major League Soccer. There's no question about that. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. So uh, what you're saying about the the Columbus being one of the toughest teams that Minnesota United could, could face, I liked what uh, Chase uh, Gasper had to say after the game. He's he sort of saying essentially – you know, if you go into a tournament at some point, you're going to have to face the best. Like if you want to go all the way, like you're going to, you're going to face that team that's going to push you may as well do it right now, essentially, you know, which is, which is, I think that a lot of fans tend to think, you know, you want, you want the easiest path you can get toward a final where you play somebody who you can, who you can beat. But, you know, I think a lot of players are like, well, you know, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. And that, that was sort of Chase's attitude post game. Uh, and I liked, I liked hearing that. I thought that was fun. Yeah, that's. I mean, he's, he's completely right, isn't he? You know, when when you think of of tournaments that operate like this in the past, as I mentioned earlier on, the World Cup and the European Championships, um, everybody's had to beat a, a team that you would consider to be a really top team to to get to the final or get to to a stage that you're happy with in the tournament. So, uh, yeah, look, you won't find an argument from me there. I think Chase Gasper has spoken very sensibly. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for the 105th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next, I get to see the next game. Isn't that exciting? This is like, I just feel like this is the regular feature during the, the year and I haven't done it. Minnesota United's next game is on Tuesday, July 28th at 7 p.m. That's central time as the Loons face off against the Arumpant Columbus Crew SC. Arumpant, I used that one. Um, in the knockout stage presented by Audi of the MLS's back tournament. Uh, well, you can watch that on ESPN and listen to my co-hosts, mellifluous tones on score North. Uh, you, you are, are you just doing the pregame or are you calling the game? No. So what we've been doing for the entirety of the tournament is we've been doing a, a Twitter pre pre show, right? Which okay. You find on social media, Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube, what have you, myself and Kindred East St. Alban. Um, and we go through, you know, uh, lineups and tactics and, give you interviews, what have you. And then we jump over to the radio side. So we've been doing radio commentary throughout the entirety of the tournament. You can hear it on Score North if you're in Minnesota. Elsewhere in the United States, you can listen nationally on Sirius XM. Nice. Excellent. I, I've, forgive me for not paying that much attention to the pre, pre-games, but I'm doing a lot of other stuff at that moment. So I know I'm, you're working, mate. Yeah, you've got previews to write and stuff. I know. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Entris. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are.